today on Ag News Day. When the cow walks on, it's it's very similar to the um, box stall robot concept. We have it set at eight minutes a turn, so every eight seconds a cow is getting on. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here on this Tuesday, the start of a Labor Day shortened work week. Joined today by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? Not too bad, Mike. Did you have a good uh, Labor Day weekend? You know, I almost floated away. We had uh, flash flood watches and warnings across a lot of the Midwest, from Nebraska all the way through to, oh, geez, at least Illinois, maybe into Indiana and up through Minnesota. I don't know how many inches of rain Grinnell got, but at some point on Saturday night, the uh, police department went on Twitter and Facebook and told people not to drive because the streets were flooded. But you're okay. Oh, yes. Yes, I am just fine. I uh, My house is on a hill, so mm-hmm. no worries. How oh, about geez. you, Delaney? You're away from the rain today. Yeah, I am. I had a good Labor Day weekend. My birthday's Friday, so I'm kind of just like preparing for my birthday week. Fun. What do you got planned? Um, I don't know. Just normal stuff, I guess. Actually, my parents are flying in on Friday or coming in on Friday to come see me. I've got some friends coming up. But, you know, like... That's what they always, people always tease, like, that women need a birthday week, so I fully agree. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I can see that, Delaney. I don't want to spoil any surprises, but I guess I'll go ahead and tell you about your birthday present a little early, which is, I didn't get you anything. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But glad to hear you're, you're turning one year older and uh, whatever. All that stuff. Happy birthday, early birthday and stuff. Yeah, okay. You can tell me on Friday. Oh, okay. All right. That's what I'll do. Okay. That'll be my birthday present. Yes. Yes, it will. I will wish you a very, very happy birthday as a present. But it's not your birthday yet. It's not. It's Tech Tuesday. Hashtag Mm -hmm. Tech Tuesday. We're going to be talking dairy technology Mm -hmm. a little bit later on in the show. But Delaney, what news do you have for us today? Well, as we look at Dairy, I guess, news. Um, part of the reason that NAFTA is still being held up is because of the uh, the margin. What is it called? The margin supply program. Margin. Margin protection margin program. Margin protection here in the program. US. Well, no, the Canadian program would be the quota supply system. Supply management. Supply management. Yeah. Okay. So that's apparently one of the one of the stumbling stumbling blocks that's still holding up NAFTA negotiations between the U.S. and Canada, especially. Um, President Trump did follow through, of course, on his promise and submitted a renegotiated NAFTA to Congress on Friday. Apparently, I didn't realize this piece, the submission doesn't have to include the actual language of the pact. So they still technically have another 30 days here to get all of that put in place and to bring Canada in on that, basically. Weird. So they can submit basically... Like an intent letter. Yes. Like, we're going to sign something. This isn't it, but uh, we'll give you the words later. Yep, yep. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I might do really well in government. That that might just be where I need to be, something <sighs> where you can not quite finish something and still get credit for it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, But they are hmm. starting, uh, they're going to start talks again tomorrow. They've been talking over the weekend. I don't know. It feels like we're close. Okay. Yeah, I, it feels like we're as close as we were. We're, we're closer than we were last Monday before yes. Mexico signed on. So at least we got Mexico on board. Now we'll just see what happens with the Canadians. Mm-hmm. 
Well, as long as we're talking trade right off the bat, I've got news here out of the Northwest. Delaney, what okay. is the highest value crop that come out of Washington State? Uh, apples. Yes, I'm good for you. I didn't know that. That really surprised me. Well, thank you. I'm I'm smarter than you. I'll take credit for that. Absolutely. So the apple harvest is, of course, getting ready to to get underway here. Fall is apple harvesting time. And one of the products slapped with Chinese tariffs in that last round of tariff disagreements was apples. Hmm. And uh, the bulk of American apple production is consumed in the U.S. However, about 30 percent is shipped to China. And the Chinese really like gala apples and red delicious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Red Delicious, Delaney, do you know where they come from originally? Uh, no, I'm not a big apple fan. They were first grown in East Peru, Iowa, my hometown. Oh, really? They certainly were. Um, later taken to uh, Washington, and they were really popularized in Washington after the Armistice Day Freeze, which happened in Iowa in 1944. Anyhow, there's my uh, history degree at work. Yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah, so basically, uh, apples are about $2 billion to Washington State's economy, and they're worried that apples might be like cherries, which also about 30% were exported to China, also hit with a tariff, and cherries touched an almost century low adjusted for inflation price in the Hong Kong fruit market, and there's concern that that might happen to apples. So folks, if you are apple eaters, uh, you know, here in a couple of weeks, you may see a bit of a drop in prices at the grocery store. Perfect. Being healthier and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love apples. Apple a day, Delaney keeps the doctor away. Well, that's just an old wives' tale, but okay. That's better than, you know, a candy bar a day. Well, yeah, you probably do that too, though. That's okay. Well, yeah, but the apple balances that. <laughs> that's right, it's all about balance. I cook um, my apple in caramel. That way I get two for one. <laughs> nice, perfect. Mm hmm. Well, as we're talking about trade and whatnot, today is the first official day to go see your FSA offices to sign up for your, basically, government handout. Yes, your bailout, uh, no, your your trade assistance, assistance package. Assistance package, yep. Yes. Yep. So, but, what, go ahead. I was going to say, but before you go, you know, you got to have your crops harvested. Right. Yeah, you have to have them completely harvested. Um, and so it's about $4.7 billion is what's being paid out directly to farmers. It's going to be very interesting to see how the money flows, like if it's going to run out because as, you know, I mean, it's all based off of harvest and production. So if one farmer harvests faster than another or has a smaller farm or whatever, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how that works. Right. If we have record yields in corn and soybeans, let's just say mm -hmm. at 82 cents a bushel in beans and at half a penny a bushel in corn, I wonder, will we run that money out? I don't know. I don't know either. Better better get your paperwork in there first, yeah. you know, I suppose. Better incentive right. to get those combines running. Right. Well, combines running is, of course, about six months away from happening down in Brazil. But we've talked a lot. A lot of people since these tariffs and this trade war has gotten started have talked a lot about Brazil increasing their soybean production. Mm -hmm. And there was a report out from Bungie and Santander and several other large scale agribusiness companies that have announced they are going to be providing long term financing to growers oh. who want to expand soy production on the Cerrado, which is the Brazilian, uh, it'd be sort of like our Great Plains. Mm -hmm. um, it's well-suited for bean production, 
It's just growers haven't, I guess I should say, the Cerrado is where bean production has been growing, and it's well-suited for it. However, it's kind of expensive, and it takes about three years to get ground from broken into production. And one of the things that has held up production is farmers down there have a heck of a time getting financing. Typically, the loans are just for a growing season less than a year. These loans are going to be for 10 years, and so the idea is growers can borrow the money from one of these companies, get out there, and start to tear up Cerrado, plant it to soybeans, or start to lime it, get it suited, and then pay it off over the next 10 years when it starts to uh, pay for itself. The reason I think this matters is there is currently 25 million hectares of Cerrado available to be planted to soybeans. That's 50, what, almost 60 million acres wow. that can be planted to soybeans just as we sit here today. But but those acres are acres that haven't been produced before, right? Right, right. So, so it really, would take a couple of years for them to get, like, great yields out of them. Yeah, really to, to really kind of impact the Brazilian crop and, and bump it up a lot. If they started tomorrow tearing up those acres and started getting them ready, we wouldn't see any bean production off that ground until mm -hmm. like 2020 or 2021. Oh, well, to pile on to that then, um, uh -huh. <laughs> Argentina also released some, I guess, preliminary numbers about what they're going to do uh, for the 2018-19 growing season. And they're expected to plant about 7.7 .7 million acres of soybeans, which is a 27% increase. Hmm. Yeah, it, it should you know, bump up their crop from, bump it up about 980,000 bushels is what the USDA is forecasting. All right. But they've also talked about uh, increasing export taxes, which would give farmers an incentive to hold on to those beans rather than sell them. So I wonder if that's going to be a wash in the long term. I don't know. That's yeah, a good question. something to watch. Yeah. yeah. Um, we also have news. Delaney, I'm sure you've been paying attention. There's a tropical storm, mm -hmm. Tropical Storm yeah. Gordon, that is uh, moving across the Gulf, expected to hit Mississippi, Louisiana later on today. And then over the course of the week, those that moisture is going to work its way up into the Corn Belt. And by Friday or Saturday, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana should again be getting huge rainfall. Of course, not something we like to see when stock quality is already a concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And close to harvest. You know what? I was going down to uh, St. Louis over the weekend. I went to a Cardinals game, and there were just so many acres of corn that looked like it had just been beat up hard. I mean, stocks were basically not horizontal, but they were tilted pretty far. Yeah, you know, that's oh boy. And with all of this rain that's coming, it's hopefully we just get rain and not a huge wind event that mm -hmm. sweeps across a lot of the Corn Belt because that's going to slow. Yeah. Oh, man, harvest drag on forever with this wetness and then with down corn. But the other factor about this uh, tropical storm that I think people should keep in mind is that anything moving through the Gulf does impact oil prices. Mm -hmm. And so far, Tropical Storm, Tropical Storm Gordon has knocked about 9% of U.S. oil production offline as companies have evacuated oil wells. So we should probably expect a little bit of a jump in gas prices here in the short term. Okay. All right. Well, Mike, did you have any other news or should we hop over into the markets? I, I'm just ready to get into markets and talk dairy. Okay. Let's do it then. 
All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be taking a crop tour, sort of a pre-harvest tour with the folks from Zaner. If you are in northern Iowa or southern Minnesota, shoot us a note on Facebook or on Twitter. Let us know. We'd love to stop by your farm and see you. Delaney, is that next week? It sure is, Mike. Yeah, so let us know. Reach out to us there, and you can meet the fantastic Ted Spread or Ted Seifred from the Zaner Group. Mm-hmm. Well, let's see where the markets close today. We've got the corn market up. The September contract higher three and a half cents at three fifty four and a half. December up three and a quarter to close the day at three sixty eight and a quarter. Mixed trade today in soybeans. The September contract was down a penny at eight thirty two even. November up three quarters of a cent to finish at eight forty four and a quarter. Big down day in Chicago wheat. September contract dropped fifteen and three quarter cents to finish at five oh two and three quarters. The December contract down fourteen cents to finish at five thirty one and a half. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got gains today all down the meat complex in live cattle. The October contract was up $1.10 at 109.8750. December up $1.42 and a half to close at 114.40. In feeder cattle, the September contract up $2.27.5, finished 151.72 and a half. The October up 270 to close at 151.82 and a half. And in lean hogs, the October contract up 65 cents, 51.07 and a half. December up a dollar eighty-five to close the day at fifty-five twenty-five. We've got to take a quick look in at the dairy market. Class three milk September contract up four cents on the day. Sixteen fifty-six was the close. October up a penny to finish at sixteen seventy-two. Let's jump into our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion and talk to Mark Qual from Qual Dairy up in North Dakota. Well, folks, for today's conversation, we are talking to Mark Qual. And Mark is a part owner of the Qual Dairy up in Lisbon, North Dakota. And you might have seen their name floating around the ag journalist world because they have installed only the fourth robotic carousel milker in North America. Mark, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Yay, not a problem. Did I get that right? Is that what you guys have installed, a robotic carousel? Yep, yep, it's a robotic rotary. We put in a 60 stall, uh, so, um, yeah, we can have uh, 60 cows on there at a time. Well, almost, there's uh, always about three or four spots of cows getting off and on, but, but, um, but yeah, most of the time, every stall is pretty well full as the, as it's coming around. So, yep, it's the, uh, the fourth one in North America, just the second one in the U.S. There's, hmm. uh, two more now in the U.S., one in Minnesota, one down in, uh, Colorado that uh, is just getting started up. So there, there's getting to be a few more here and there, but, but yeah, we were the uh, second one in the U.S. The first one was over in Wisconsin. Mark, walk me through this robotic dairy system. I mean, why is this so high tech? What's the advancement here uh, technology wise for dairy producers? Sure, sure. So it's, uh, when the cow walks on, it's, it's very similar to the, um, box all robot concept so it's a gear system so it's actually the same arm and camera system as their box stall but so when a cow steps in on our rotary then as the rotary is turning we have it set at eight minutes a turn so every eight seconds a cow is getting on then there's a sensor that reads that a cow is standing in there and there's also um, a transponder reader that reads which cow is standing there so then at that point, then the robotic arm uh, from the cow's right-hand side comes out underneath them, and then there's a camera on there that 
Uh, it's a 3D time of flight camera that really visualizes where the teats are located on the cow. And then it actually color codes each um, teat end with the appropriate cup that should go on there. And then that's how it finds and puts them on. So it does do some mapping with each cow, too. Uh, so every time that a cow comes on and gets attached, then it stores that as part of the map for where to look for the teats at. But uh, it still has the time of flight camera that that's really um, how it attaches so quickly. So when a cow steps on, um, the milking unit is attached to her within about uh, 45 to 50 seconds on average. And so these cows, they're free to come and go, or at least come onto the carousel, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is that right? No, no. That's actually where a lot of people get this uh, uh, mixed up with the um, box stall version. So the box stall version, that's where it's out and um, everything is kind of built around them. And with the robotic rotary, it's essentially a conventional milking style but it's done by robots so um, we still get the cows to a holding area and then they file on and then um, back back off and return back to their pen when they're done so uh, with our pen sizes uh, the cows are only actually away from their pen for 35 to 40 minutes and um, so their their time of being away is is very little and we did we just decided that this was a better route for us for how we wanted to do it in that uh, in looking at the different systems, like in the box stalls, having them out, they're not saying that, you know, one way is better than another. There's multiple ways to to milk cows with robots, without robots, you know, uh, as long as you're doing your best to get the best quality product and taking care of your animals, there's no wrong way. But for us, we decided to go this way in the line of thinking of that with the box stalls, you always uh, will have to go and fetch a certain percentage of cows and chase them to the, (laughs) or, not case, but, you know, herd them over to where the uh, robot is so that they get milked. And um, when looking at that, our line of thinking kind of was, well, if we are going to need to go into some of the pens or if not all of the pens and get a handful of cows here and there, why not just move all of the cows in a controlled time of day and uh, and get them on and milked and back off in a, a really timely fashion so they're not away from the pen very long and um, you know, that was obviously not the only uh, reason why we picked picked uh, this style over box stalls, but it was it was one of uh, one of the factors that that went into it of how we wanted to use the system. Huh. OK, so, Mark, walk me through how many head dairy head do you guys have and then how quickly does this system work with your current operation? Sure. So we're milking about fourteen hundred head. Um we actually just last week we started sort of a, a modified 3x. We were just milking 2x, but um, we just decided to start milking our fresh pens, so our cows that had just calved, and then our uh, four high-producing pens a third time. But um, to milk all of our cows uh, one single time, it only takes about five hours, five and a half mm. hours, about. So it's actually a little bit faster now that our um, our highest producing cows we're milking a third time, so they're giving a little less milk each time that they're in the parlor. Because the way that we have um, have our settings set on our rotary is that if a cow's still milking when they get to the exit, so before they get off the rotary, we'll actually stop and finish milking that cow. 
And then um, once she gets done and the robot comes off and is pulled back under uh, into its container or its box safely, then it'll fire back up again and start rotating. So, so we're having fewer uh, stops for milking at exit than we were before. So our cow flow has actually even increased from where it was. So now we're doing anywhere from about 260 to uh, a few times we actually hit up to almost 300 cows an hour. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Now, Mark, you mentioned that uh, you're still moving the cows from their their pens to the rotary. And when you thought about how to grow your operation, I, I imagine a robotic rotary is a fairly expensive investment. Why did you go this route rather than just the conventional rotary and and have folks back there milking? How does this work? What's the savings? I guess I should ask. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, you know, the uh the what you just said of having the people there to milk, the labor has always been for us one of the biggest issues of getting um people here to work or to want to work for an extended period of time and um, one thing that we've always struggled with is um, pretty much in our backyard, about 10 miles away from us, is the main manufacturing plant for uh, bobcats. So that's in Gwinter, which isn't very far away from us. So we've always had to pretty much compete with uh, with a large manufacturing plant located in rural North Dakota that doesn't have a whole lot of people, uh, you know, looking for work in the first place. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so the, the people factor has always been one of the hardest parts. One of the other biggest things in going with this robotic rotary in comparison to something else is that all all of the units are consistent. So whatever we have the settings in the computer, that's how the cow is going to get milked. Every time she gets on the rotary, whether she's in stall 1 or stall 20 or stall 60, and it also doesn't matter who we have in the parlor with them because as soon as the unit is on – then everything is just done by the robot. Hmm. Huh, that's really interesting. And the other thing I think is kind of interesting that I wanna, wanted to ask you about, Mark, was I saw the article that Ag Week did on you guys, and it looks like a lot of the um, the machinery and the technology itself can be run by a smartphone or show you really specific data about each cow. How has that data helped change your operation since you've implemented this new dairy robotics system? Sure. So actually, one of the kind of real interesting parts that that we've found is that it's um, that each quarter is measured individually on the cow for how much milk she's giving and for like the uh, the flow rate, how fast it's coming on and everything. So like when one cow comes on and she's getting milked on all four quarters, once she gets done with one of those quarters and the flow rate drops low enough, then that cup will come back off and she'll continue milking on the other three. So then we get to eliminate any uh, potential over milking on any quarters, um, it, you know, causing any teed end damage. So then that helps to uh, eliminate um, any flare ups of mastitis that can occur here and there. Hmm. Um, and, wow. and then, yeah, it's everything just happens inside of the cup. That's actually one thing that's, uh, that's unique to the GIA system compared to some other robotic systems is that everything happens in the teacup and it goes to a module and the module has a decision valve that sends um, everything that's coming through to the dump line. So it sprays dip and then there's a, a massaging phase and then it starts to strip out the cow and, uh, and milk the cow. But all of that is going to a dump line down the drain until it sees white milk 
there's a color sensor. And once that color sensor sees white milk, then that decision valve will flip to the good milk line, and then everything will go to the good milk after that. And then when the cow gets done, when the flow rate drops low enough, then that valve will flip back uh, to the dump milk line, it'll quick spray the cow, and it'll take it off. So then, uh, so there's no chance for that cross-contamination of uh, dip or um, any bad milk going into the the good milk line into the bulk tank or into our tankers. Sorry. Sure. Now, Mark, I, I've got to ask you, this is a pretty big change. What has this done when you look out 5, 10, 15 years for Qual Dairy? How does this position you guys to grow or, or, or modify your future plans? Yeah, you know, eliminating that, that uh, the factor of the amount of people that we need to get something done, because um, I guess, yeah, I kind of... Uh, bounced off the last question a little bit but in order for us to milk in this you know conventional style rotary like this we would probably need for sure four people around it per shift if not five uh to get the kind of throughput that we're getting um is what we've uh, estimated at so but instead of having that we actually just have one single person in there uh, monitoring it so so our ability to be a little more flexible on um who we have working in here uh, the people's actually desire to be in here since the work isn't nearly as labor intensive as it used to be, uh, is, is, uh, been a benefit to us. Um, then also when we do have an employee issue, say somebody doesn't show up on time or, uh, somebody just doesn't show up at all, then we can all of a sudden, um, you know, kind of quickly take over a shift or have somebody step in and and it's just not so physically demanding as it was before. Hmm. Mark, I guess kind of one one final question I have for you is in a lot of conversations I've had with dairy producers and I'm sure Mike has heard some of the same things it seems like a lot of dairymen and women have to either expand and put in the input or infrastructure like this to continue dairying. Is that Part of the reason that Qual decided to kind of make this next step to having the robotic milkers, and is that kind of what you're seeing from an industry standard? You know, um, all sizes of dairies can make it work. It's just how much labor and time you have to put into it. So, you know, whether it's a 10,000-cow dairy or a 50-cow dairy, you know, to make ends meet, um, you can do it. Well, I guess – this current uh, prices aren't really great, right. so it's a little more challenging yeah. than usual. But but a lot a lot of it isn't um, how many cows that you're milking as much as your efficiencies. So so if you can get your efficiencies and you can also um, you know there's always that that uh, the rest of your life factor you got to put in mm-hmm. there because people that that love dairying and and uh, you know love taking care of animals and and having a dairy farm you know they also need to have a little life besides that so that's kind of where when you see people that are expanding a little more um normally it's then to reap that uh that benefit of having a little more milk so then you can have another person or two in there to then actually give you a little bit more free time uh, well not free time but you know yeah uh, a little more flexibility you have, yeah, flexibility right. for what you have to do with your time. So, so it's it's not where I don't think that a smaller that like no smaller dairies are going to be around and everyone's going to expand, but uh, but it's one of those things that people just have to uh, 
you know, every situation is different and everyone has to kind of figure it out for themselves. And, and on our side of things, we were at the point of, uh, our old parlor was built in 1986. Uh, it was pretty well maxed out on the cows that we could put through there. So we just had to come together and sit down and it was, where are we going from here? What mm-hmm. do we want to do? And, uh, this came up as an option of some, as a avenue that we could pursue. And, and, uh, we, we checked it out and, and went for it. And as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> that is very cool. It's neat to see new technologies being put into use to help farm families, especially find more balance. Mark Qual, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. And we wish you the best of luck up there at Qual Dairy. All right. Thank you very much. Well, again, that was Mark Qual with Qual Dairy. Interesting stuff that they're doing, Mike. It really is. You know, anything that can free up dairy producers, either from their reliance on labor, outside labor, or their own labor, and give those folks a life back, I, I think is uh, is tremendous. Yes, absolutely. Well, folks, as I mentioned, heading into that conversation, we do want your suggestion. If you're in northern Iowa, say, you know, north of, of Highway 20 or uh, south of Interstate 90 in Minnesota, drop us a note. We'd love to stop by with the Zaner crew and say hey to you next week, see what's going on, see how yields look. Find us on mm-hmm. Facebook or on Twitter at Ag News Daily or visit us on the web. You can drop us a note there at agnewsdaily.com. And Delaney, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.